Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 26, Errand of Mercy. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. You, dear friends, are very lucky. We're here to save you from all other podcasts. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. You know, Ken is right. Those other podcasts are no good for you. With our podcast, you'll have laughter and joy, and your kids will do better in school. You'll have fewer cavities and a fighting chance for a peaceful future. Those other podcasts will only lead you to war and destruction. Right, Ken? What? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I'm sorry, forgive me, John. I'm, I'm a little distracted. I'm just finishing up my Starfleet Academy uh, scholarship applications. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, you see, John, the Federation invests a great deal of money in training officers like Kirk and mm. Spock, but they don't just hand that money out. In fact, no. uh, every episode of Mission Log that we've done so far has been part of my scholarship application essay. Now... I do have a backup plan. Oh, good. Yeah, if I don't get the scholarship, there is an online academy that teaches uh, Starship Command. You've, you've seen their ads, I'm sure. Uh, totally. You know, yeah. Hologram of uh, Sally Struthers' giant head pops up offering courses in Starship Command, uh, phaser and botleth repair, or business management and accounting. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, a, I got a few things working here. <laughs> good, good. Now, yeah. it, it, here's the trick. I, I think that the more star trek we watch the more we'll be able to tell who actually went to the academy and who just did the online course <laughs> we, we may well like that guy from uh, star trek 3 the one who was on hill street blues mm-hmm. yeah i'm thinking yeah. he did the online course <laughs> yeah. I, I mean him no offense that's just my guess right because he right. seemed to have no idea what to do yeah yeah. And a lot of those, I think they hand out the red shirt at the end of the uh, uh, online training, you know? It's like when you're done with the online training, they just mail you a red shirt. Actually, they, they send you an iron-on. <laughs> right. It's like a, a big square of red right on the front. That's You're not even red shirt material at that point. I'm not, and forgive me. I'm not making fun of online universe. Well, I am. I'm you making are. fun of the idea of, you know, becoming a starship captain. Right. Uh, through an online university. That's really no way to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, today we are talking about Errand of Mercy, and um, it, it's an auspicious moment uh, for Star Trek. It is the introduction of the Klingons. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're very happy about that. And uh, before we get into what the show is all about, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit here, Ken. You know what it's time for? It's time for trivia, John. You're right. You remember last week I mentioned Gene Kuhn, otherwise known as Gene L. Kuhn? Yes. Um, well, we have him to thank for coming up with the Klingons. He, he's the guy who invented them as an enemy and kind of fleshed out what they were like and uh, uh, what their culture was like. Um, so like I said last week, he makes many, many contributions to Star Trek, but this is probably up there with the, uh, the most important. But we cannot minimize how important the uh, contributions were from John Colicos. He is the actor who plays Kur, the Klingon commander in this episode. And by the way, he also played one of my other favorite sci-fi villains. If you watch the original Battlestar Galactica, he was Baltar. Really? And, uh, yeah, he sure was. So before <laughs> Baltar was like a cool, long-haired hipster, you know, with... Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, sort of deep psychological problems. He was just badass John Colicos. Now, as Baltar in the original mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, yeah. and it's going to sound like I'm making fun, and again, it is because I am. <laughs> Does he have a perfectly round head? Uh, pretty much. I was yeah. looking at him, and I couldn't tell if it was because of the hairdo, because he was a Klingon, and then, you know, the, the Fu Manchu and all the stuff that he had going on. I couldn't tell if he if if that made him look like he had a perfectly round like like spherical head or if he yeah. just you know carries that with him his whole life. He kind of does, you know. Galactica was ten years after Star Trek. Yeah, and he is a little older, maybe sure. put on a little bit of weight. Okay, and he he's kind of a kind of a puffy looking man, but 
Oh, God. Uh, now we're just making fun of him. I feel bad now. I apologize. No, no, hey, I, it, it, I'm not making fun. I'm just making a. a he looks like a grown up Charlie Brown to me. <laughs> His head was perfectly round. Great. I mean, and, and let me let me just go ahead and before anybody writes horrible email, and we'll give you the address to write horrible email later. Uh huh. Um, he's great in this episode. Yes. All right. Yes. I'm not. I'm not minimizing everything. I'm just I'm noticing. He's got a perfectly spherical head. Well, and he was great in Galactica too. I, I, the original show gets. I, I don't know because we had the new one. Yeah, I think the original takes a little bit of a beating, but I, I still think that there are a lot of good things in the original. And uh, I would start with John Colicos as being one of the, the best things about the original. Um, but here's the thing. His contribution to that, to what then became the Klingon style, if you will, cannot be um, understated. He's the guy who came up with the whole Fu Manchu, uh, the mustache, the facial hair, the the dark makeup. All of that was his idea. And he kind of presented it to the uh, makeup and stylists on the show. And he made such an impact with this role. He was actually asked to return many, many times, but he never actually made it back until the original series was off the air. Um, there were other, you know, Klingons will reoccur, of course, from now on, and there were Klingon episodes of the original series that were written for his character, that were written for Commander Kor, uh, but we never actually got to see him again in the original series. He will come up later, so stick with us here on Mission Log, and um, <laughs> you'll definitely hear a lot more about Kor oh, years from now. Um, now, you got to say really quickly, one of the things that's surprising for people who may have seen the Klingons before but have never seen the Klingons in the original uh, original series, because mm-hmm. we hear from a lot of people who, you know, are like that. They, they, yeah. They've watched Next Gen or they've watched Deep Space Nine, but they've never actually, you know, they're going back now and watching the original series, which is you know kind of fun to, to be doing mm-hmm. that along with people who've never seen it before. Uh, no forehead. Well, not no forehead. Regular right. forehead. <laughs> right. Smooth forehead. Smooth forehead. Yes. Human forehead, you might even say, or humanoid anyway, not not the big um, sort of exoskeleton forehead that you know yeah. the Klingons have starting, I guess, in uh, uh, Star Trek picture. The Motion Picture. Yeah. yeah. And then every other appearance, including uh, Enterprise, which is, you know, kind of weird. Right. Oh. Because oh. That, well, that predates... Oh. I know yeah. we're doing the timeline thing, but that, that, <laughs> that predates the original series. And yet you've got a more advanced looking Klingon. But, you know, it was a yeah. more advanced time. We, we could do that. Exactly. But, but here we are with the first appearance of the Klingons. And they're, they're, there's a lot of groundwork being laid here. Um, and by the way, this is such a, a, a tiny little thing, but I, I have to point it out. Um, I think it was in 1992, uh, the Smithsonian had an exhibit about Star Trek. And then uh, a year or two after that, they kind of broke that down and they toured it to various places. So I, I caught it at the Air and Space Museum in D.C. And then I caught it again in New York. And one of the things that I found to be so kind of charming, you walk around, you're looking at the costumes and models and all this cool stuff. And they have one of the original Klingon costumes. I don't know if it was particularly Coors, but it was one of the original TV series Klingon outfits and you you go up and you look you know look at it up close and you may have noticed that they all have this belt buckle on and it's kind of a metallic looking thing sort of a trapezoid shape and it's got five or six kind of buttons on the front of it and it just looks like a piece of metallic gear that they're wearing well you see it in real life and you see it up close in this exhibit as I did. And I thought it was so hilarious that it's actually a piece of uh, bubble wrap that they cut out <laughs> into a pe- into this little trapezoid shape and then spray painted it kind of goldish silver. And, uh, and that is the sort of iconic looking piece of the, the Klingon costume. Wow. Yeah. Two things you never want to see made, laws and... Klingon belt buckles and, and any TV prop. <laughs> that's, that's probably that's that's probably true. Yeah, and, and by the way, if you're watching, um, because I know some people watch the uh, the original cut along uh, with Mission Log, other people watch the remastered version of TOS as they're gearing up to listen to Mission Log. But um, if you're watching the non remastered edition, you won't see any Klingon ships. 
Well, so, and if you're watching the remastered edition, you'll barely see any Klingon ships, too. Well, but, but they're distinctly Klingon yes, ships. Yes, that, that's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, but there were no Klingon ship models when the show was made. So everything that has to do with the Klingon ship is just purely a reaction on the Enterprise. There is one more piece of trivia that I want to share. But, okay. But I need, a little, I need a little participation from you on this. Do me a favor, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me to tell you what's on my mind. Okay, Ken. Uh, tell me what's on your mind. Pure energy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can't do it as well as he does, and I, I certainly don't have the echo that they have. But if you're a fan of right. Information Society, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Spock says the words pure energy in this episode. Um, and that sample was used by Information Society for their synth pop classic, What's on Your Mind? Pure Energy, from the album uh, Information Society. I will right now give you, well, I can't do it right now because you're not here, but I will right now give you $10 if you can name one other Information Society song. Uh, I, you know, I think that's $10 you get to keep in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the other one that I would know? I have no idea. No, okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that was kind of my point. I was, right. I was figuring my 10 bucks was safe. Oh my goodness, I am pure energy. Information Society should totally do a song about me. Pure energy. Hope you didn't think the 23rd century is a charming, peaceful place to put up your feet and sit for a while. There's a conflict brewing. Peace negotiations with the Klingons have faltered, and the Enterprise is dispatched to the planet Organia to prevent it from falling into enemy hands. Should be easy. According to Spock, Organia is just a little agricultural place with nothing in the way of technology. Sounds good. We'll go there. Wait! Incoming Klingon attack. The Enterprise prevails, but now it's war. Act 1. Sulu is in charge while Kirk and Spock beam down to Organia. There they meet the very friendly Aelborn, who seems a little confused when Kirk asks to speak to someone in authority. Aelborn explains that there is no one in authority, but then takes Kirk to the Council of Elders, of which he is the chairman. Oh, that authority. Kirk lays out what's happening. The Klingons are going to come to Organia, set up shop, and enslave all these nice, very nice farmers. The Federation, however, will come in and build schools, share their technology, and keep the Klingons at bay. The Organians react with a sort of, oh, well, that's nice, but no thanks. Kirk is getting a little more indignant, but the Organians are nonplussed. They probably want to get back to sharing patterns for making ankle-length tunics. Then, like that guy in a restaurant who can't put down a cell phone, Kirk takes a call from the Enterprise. Sulu reports that a whole lot of Klingons have just shown up and are attacking. Kirk tells him to get out of there, so he does. Now we've got a few hundred Klingons on Argania. The Enterprise is gone, and Kirk and Spock are stuck talking to a council who just couldn't care less. Act 2. The Council of Elders can't be bothered with much, but they do bother long enough to get Kirk and Spock some of those spiffy tunics so they can blend in, and they take away their phases. They really don't like weapons. Good timing, too, because the Klingon commander, the tough and ambitious Kur, has just shown up in the council chambers and does his pitch, follow the new rules or die. Pretty simple. Also, he thinks Spock is probably a spy, but he thinks Kirk, posing as the Organian Barone, is perfect as a liaison to the public. Off Spock goes for a little examination, and off Kirk goes to the new Klingon HQ. When Spock comes back, he's actually just fine. Even after probing his brain, the Klingons still think he's a Vulcan traitor. Spock is mentally disciplined like that. Kirk's job, meanwhile, is to keep the Organian people in line. But on his own, he and Spock are starting to plot on just how to disrupt the Klingon plan. First, they'll destroy a Klingon munitions dump, and surely the Organians will liberate themselves. Well, not so much. The raid on the munitions dump goes really great, but Aelborn and the other Organians are not phased at all about the show of violence. This is all Kirk needs to launch into a speech about standing up for freedom, and that very speech is being broadcast right into Kors HQ via a convenient and very large surveillance bug. The Klingons come rushing in, 
But before the threat of using the mind scanner can settle, Aelborn reveals Kirk's true identity. Act 3. Aelborn is pretty sure that by ratting out Kirk, all will be just okay. Kor has Spock locked up, but takes Kirk back to his office for a, a drink and a chat. Kor is trying to find common ground. They're both a couple of soldiers looking to expand their empires. Kirk says, uh, but no, his federation is different. Kor is just glad that war gives him some sort of definition in life. So, come on, just reveal some information about the fleet, all right? If not, it's off to the mind sifter for you. Well, why don't Kirk and Spock sit in the dungeon for a while to think this over? When things seem particularly dire, who shows up to rescue them but Aelborn? He says, hey guys, no worries, just come back to the council chamber. Kor, really unhappy about this, implements Special Occupation Order Number 4. In case you're wondering, that means the Klingons will start rounding up citizens and executing them en masse until the prisoners are turned over. In seconds, 200 Organians are dead. Act 4. Aelborn and the Council are totally nonplussed by the death of their people. Kirk pleads with Aelborn to give them back their phasers. He and Spock are going to do something about this. Kirk is all ready to sacrifice himself and Spock if it means saving the Organians, who, by the way, don't really seem like they want to be saved. The raid starts, and Kirk and Spock fight their way into Kor's office, not actually killing anyone, by the way. Kor reveals that the Federation fleet is on its way, but a Klingon fleet will be there to meet them. This war is about to get a whole lot bigger, a whole lot faster. Kor is ready to break out the booze again and toast his good luck. There also happens to be a handful of armed Klingons on their way to stop Kirk and Spock, but just as they enter the room, well, it's time to play hot potato. All the weapons they are holding are suddenly too hot to touch. Cut to the Enterprise, and no one can sit down or get any work done. It's hot. Finally, Aelborn reveals what's up. The Organians are putting a stop to all this nonsense. All the weapons on both sides have been made unusable. The Organians are not about to allow a war to break out. They just abhor violence so much, they're, they're going to take away all the toys. The Organians are really, really powerful, you see. Kirk and Kor are both put off by this. They, they seem like they want war. The Organians just tell them to give it a rest. If they wait long enough and work out their differences, the Klingons and the Federation will one day become friends. Then their true nature is revealed, as the Organians have grown beyond corporeal bodies. Aelborn and his fellow council members evaporate into a blast of light. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk just seems a little mopey, and Spock asks what's up. Kirk admits that he lost his control. In his zeal to stop war, he became even more warlike. Evaporate into a blast of light? They did. They Dude. They became light energy. Pure energy. Yeah, Come on, he gave he, you the I, line. You can even sing it. Well, you can't really sing it because they don't sing it. Pure um, energy. Pure energy. Yeah, you left out uh, Spock's C-3PO imitation. Mm, yeah, he does one, doesn't he? He does. When Kirk wonders yeah. what their chances are of surviving uh, the two-man fight versus the Klingon army, right. uh, Spock says that it's hard to say for sure, but he figures the odds to be 7,824.7 to 1. Get 3PO and Spock to Vegas. That's all I'm saying. No, you know what I'm saying? What? Show your work. <laughs> Do it in longhand and yeah. pencil. Well, there it is go. dark, so I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but that does factor into my equation. You know, another thing that uh, Spock puts sort of uh, a, a very distinct ranking on is the Organians. You know, mm -hmm. when they first arrive and they just think that the Organians are nothing but this underdeveloped agricultural stagnant society – uh, Spock says, oh, okay, they're, they're a D minus. <laughs> hey, re really? Do you, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, you know, like grading them like, you know, this is how they performed. Is it? No, no, no. I mean, it, but he, he's saying like, uh, okay, if we say that, uh, earth, the Federation or Vulcan or something, we're just going to go ahead and say that's an A or an A plus. Well, you know, Vulcan would be an A plus. It would. Although yeah. here's the thing. I mean, uh, when you consider who was it that um oh who was it that brought the gorn and kirk to arena oh the metrons yes yeah, when, when you consider like the metrons or or Trelane's mom and dad or yeah. you know the the uh Talosians, 
Yeah, they're off the chart. Well, they may actually be A+. It's quite possible yeah. the Vulcans would only rate like a B-. minus. Right. I don't know. Somebody should ask Spock that sometime. I, just, I find it very interesting that he's got a report card, and he's just constantly walking around yeah. Like he's he's keeping tabs on this. I'll tell you what I found interesting before uh, we know how powerful um, the the people on um, the I just you know we just named four other planets and now I've completely for the Organians. Before we, we know how powerful they are, um, how about Kirk's just open disdain for the Organians? Yeah, no you kidding. Know, just absolutely yeah. like, don't like you, don't like your planet. Gonna go die for you anyway. If you'll excuse <laughs> me now, I got to be all Christ-like. <laughs> You know, if Christ was a guy with a starship and phasers hell bent on killing his enemy, um, yeah. I don't know. It's just it. It's it really just really like two or three times he's like, I don't like you. I mean, yeah. just, just like flat out, like I don't like yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's not too willing to learn. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things, you know. This week we need him to not be too willing to learn, so he won't be. There are other times that he's just like, you know. All that up with sympathy and understanding for other people, but you know, then the story doesn't move along. Got forty-eight minutes, people. Forty-eight right. minutes. I can't be all nice to everybody right away. I thought it was interesting that when they made over Spock, that mm-hmm. they said, "Well, he, he can pass as a Vulcan merchant because Vulcan merchants are not uncommon." Yeah, Spock and, said that they're not uncommon. Yeah, really. Yeah. I know, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we haven't seen one in twenty whatever episodes up to now. No, no. And, and it, do they sell everything? I mean, do they just pull up a ship alongside and say, hey, check out the goods, right. you know? <laughs> so right. apparently this is how they fund their much more advanced uh, technologies on <laughs> right. Vulcan. Right, the science. What, what, what's, the, what's their uh, – oh, I'm just forgetting everything now. It's not League of Science. What's their – the High Council or whatever. The, the, the Vulcan Science Academy? Yeah, well, we, sure, if you want yeah. to. I mean, is there okay. also – is there like a – is there like a – Traders Guild as well. Oh, there must be. That Spock, I think they're, they're highly organized. That Spock could have joined if he hadn't joined Starfleet. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Selling is an honorable and logical career. It is. <laughs> and, and, and buying extended warranty on anything is logical, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. Spock. It's very logical. Yeah. Hey, we, we mentioned how much uh, John Colicos kind of rules in this episode as yeah. core. He, he's really great. He, he kind of, he skirts that line between just chewing the scenery, but also being kind of believable and a little deeper mm-hmm. than, than just the bad guy of the week. But I have to say, for as much credit as we gave to John Colicos, some of the other Klingons look like they weren't thought out as well. <laughs> you know, like, like the makeup and the costumes don't fit quite right. And they're, they're, yeah, they just sound like a guy from, you know, who, who is off work, say, from the commissary at Desilu and they brought him in. And, you know, they're not quite in character the way that John Colicos is. So uh, I'm glad that we have him there to finally like he he sets the bar. And then the other Klingons that come after him in future episodes have to have to kind of uh, uh have a bit more of a character because some of the other Klingons here, they just, they don't do it for me. Yeah. They're just there to fill the, uh, the Klingon suit. They are, they are, but it just seems like they're on their way to lunch. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, especially that one part where they are on their way to lunch. And by the way, well, exactly. um, you know, uh, Kirk and Spock are talking a little loud about their plans in the middle of the day, right near what actually looks to be a Klingon commissary. I guess it was, I guess it was an Organian commissary. Right. Well, except of course the Organians don't eat. What with there being pure energy, but it's right. the you know like the set that they set up as a commissary for anybody who happens to show up. Yep. Um, yeah, and Kirk and Spock are just standing there going, "Yeah, I think we should blow some stuff up later." What do you think? <laughs> well, and what do they blow up? They uh, blow up yeah. the Klingon munitions dump. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which do which the, do uh, the Klingons fly around the galaxy with ships full of gunpowder? Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they blew it up with a grenade yeah. that they got from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they didn't get it from the Organians, nor did they have it on them because right. they're wearing the Organian clothes. So they must have stolen that from the Klingons. But the Klingons, I mean, there, there are two things that are kind of, that are kind of weird that they, yeah, that, they, uh, that they move around with a fairly conventional weaponry mm-hmm. and that they just leave it sitting out unlocked. Yeah, right. That's the other thing because okay, Spock has apparently very easily gotten a grenade. 
Yeah. Which he says has a has a a, a long fuse or a timed fuse. And that yep. that's by the way, six seconds. This is how long you get on that fuse. Um and then he just opens up a box and drops the grenade in it and then they run. They don't get behind anything, they just run. Biggest yeah. explosion I think you've ever bigger than the Gorn explosions in Arena or oh, you big know. Time. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. but um yeah. Just yeah, you know, we'll just leave those out there. Yeah. <laughs> The Enterprise wrestles with the Organians, the Klingons wrestle with the Enterprise, and John and Ken wrestle with Errand of Mercy. So to me, watching Errand of Mercy, um, I can't help but think about it in the context of when it was made, you know, um, 1967, and we are in the thick of the Vietnam War, and that whole thing had been escalating since the 1950s. But by the late 60s, public sentiment about Vietnam was very negative for a variety of reasons. And to me, I can't help but think about this episode as, uh, as a reaction to the Vietnam War. I wonder, though, if you would think about it that way. It feels to me like this is an episode that could have been made any number of times. So let's say this episode was not part of the original series, but instead was made during, oh, I don't know, let's say it was made for Next Generation. I mean, could you not just as easily apply it to, well, probably not the first Gulf War, because the first Gulf War, I mean, was about 28 days, I guess. I mean, it was it was a very short, very, right. I, I won't say sweet, but it was a very, it was a very short, it was more of a display of force than it was an actual war, nothing like the uh, second time we invaded Iraq. I wonder, though, I mean, do you see it as a Vietnam parable? I mean, you're, you're just basically putting yourself in that time. There's nothing specifically Vietnam about this. No, 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 no. I, I mean, it, it, here's the thing. Um, if you look at our various histories of war, and there are some wars that have a lot of public support and other wars that don't have a lot of public support. It just so happened that this episode came out of time during a war where there was a growing um, uh, uh, protest movement about the war. Sure. And I think what this episode does very nicely is it addresses war in general. You know, it it addresses the idea of war, which was topical, but I don't think we're being necessarily specific and and saying like, well, these political machinations that got us into Vietnam, et cetera. That right. We're, we're not picking apart that. Okay. Yeah, because but, I mean, well, like, we are. Yeah. Well, one of the Planet of the Apes movies, I can't remember which one, but one of the Planet of the Apes movies has uh, young chimpanzees, uh, like obviously teenage chimpanzees or, you know, what would be the analog of uh, teenage mm-hmm. kids mm-hmm. Um, uh, protesting the war against the humans. Yeah. And that very much was Vietnam to me. It was, you know, well, here we have the old people and they're all pro-war, but then there are these kids that are not. A lot of the things that were brought up around the Vietnam War, not just war is bad, but, I mean, you had you had basically a lot of younger kids who, you know, didn't have the romanticized versions of war that, you know, sort of were inspired a lot by World War II, I think, and, and, and soldiers yeah. returning home from that. Um, there's not the sort of establishment versus, um, versus counterculture in this. It's more just, like you say, a study of war overall. Yeah, exactly. It is, it's the bigger picture, but to me, you can't help but link it to what was going on at the time the episode was Mm. made. Now you see, what's interesting is I got a bit of balance of terror off this episode. Um, big time. Yeah. Yeah. The Klingon commander, uh, core, uh, likens the Federation to Klingon society, and though Kirk rankles at that idea, he's not necessarily uh, wrong, I don't think, Corazon. Um, I do have a bit of a hard time believing that it would be the Klingon commander who would have come to that conclusion. It seems more likely that it would be Aylborn, or, or one of the council members, maybe, who might look at them and go, oh, you two are so alike. Um, <laughs> or Spock, I mean, might also do that, just, you know, in the understanding that, you know, a soldier is a soldier. Even if you're fighting for different things, there are some things that are that are similar in the way you work. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Vietnam, actually, because I saw something, I can't remember, uh, well, it doesn't matter when, by the time people hear this, because who knows when they will. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a really interesting story, though, about a, about a, about a, a commander, I want to say like a, a, some sort of, somebody who was in some sort of authority, but on the ground in Vietnam, 
going back to meet one of the guys against whom he fought. Mm-hmm. Not like an individual, not like they, you know, went mano a mano, but he, like his, his sort of counterpart commander. And they hugged. Yeah. And, and, you know, they talked about the similarities and differences in what they had gone through. It's, right. And it's really kind of a fascinating thing to, to think about, especially when you're, again, you're talking about, well, that was going on at that time. Then you do have uh, the Organians saying, yeah, one day you guys are going to be buddy-buddy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, right. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that the two people in the in the news piece that I had seen are buddy-buddy at this point. But, you know, with war behind them, with the, with the, with the fight behind them, um, they see more of their similarities than they do the differences that they had. Well, and I've—I don't know that I saw the specific story that you did, but mm-hmm. uh, I, certainly I've heard and I've seen similar things about uh, soldiers who fought in World War II. Yeah, you know, an Allied soldier soldier meets um, you know one of the Nazi ex Nazi soldiers who who was involved in combat as well, and yeah, they weren't necessarily mano a mano, but. They share this common experience that only they can understand. Right. And there is a, a sort of human bonding because of that. And they're able to put the, the politics of what happened at that time behind them and, and find a new way to, um, uh, to understand each other. You know? Now, can I ask you a question? Um, of course. We yeah. talked about how sometimes um, Kirk is one who will learn and who will understand, and sometimes he's not. You've got down uh, in the notes here, uh, Kirk saying, I'm a soldier, not a diplomat. Yeah. Do you you feel like that's always applicable? I mean, or or is that just, is it that whole thing that we've talked about before where, well, last week it was written by, you know, DC Fontana, and this week it's written by uh, Gene Kuhn. So, you know, we're going to get a different thing. And next week it's going to be written by somebody else entirely. And then two months from now, or next season, There'll be this guy that we've never heard of before writing about these little fuzzy things. You know, I mean, is it, does the changing nature of the characters, depending on, you know, what the situation is, bother you? Does it take you out of it too much? Or was it it, it fine for Kirk to say, I'm a soldier, not a diplomat? To me, that that line, and that's why I wrote it down here, that that line really stuck with me. And, And I thought it was a little difficult to reconcile with who we say we are as humans a few hundred years from now and what our job is a few hundred years from now. Because when he says, I'm a soldier, you, you're talking about a strictly military organization. Right. And he is there to follow orders and fight. Right. You know, and, you know, there are most, I, I also thought of Taste of Armageddon. You know, this, like you said, has a parallel to Balance of Terror because at least you have the two commanders kind of seeing what their similarities are. Mm-hmm. And, like you, I'm a little surprised that Spock holds his tongue so often in these, because to me, he would be the first guy to notice this and point it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, Spock but, should actually start every episode. Ah, here we go again. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, but I was thinking, you know, again, of, of uh, A Taste of Armageddon, because the it's not necessarily soldier Kirk, but it is the sort of action-oriented Kirk that just goes in and says, okay, I'm changing this. I, mm-hmm. I'm doing this now, whether you want it or not. And we had kind of a discussion whether or not you could justify those decisions. But it, it seems like in this instant, with Kurt saying, I am a soldier, not a diplomat, I keep thinking, well, to me, part of your job, at least as I understand it, is to be a diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, You're not as much of a jerk as a lot of the diplomats we've seen. From the Federation. But yeah, you're sort of, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, his whole thing of like, you know, he's going to go in and change it. I mean, there's a sort of a return of return of the archons in this. Your society is not advancing. At least, you know, they can't see that it's advancing because of of the, you know, I don't want to go so far as to say chicanery or skullduggery. But as far as the, you know, the the tomfoolery, let's say, that the Organians are are sort of playing before uh, the members of the Federation and... uh, and the uh, and the Klingons, um, yeah. the way we see it, their society is not advancing, and it needs to. So let's get on that, okay? Um, except, of course, there's no switch, there's no computer that he can either turn off or destroy, right? And so he just ends up being, you know, kind of stymied. Yeah, by I mean, it. here's the thing: we, we've seen Kirk be a better diplomat than the diplomats we've introduced on the show so far. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and then we've seen Kirk be more compassionate 
than anybody else on the show in Devil in the Dark. It goes to what, um, if people have been listening to the supplemental episodes, it goes to what Robert J. Sawyer said when he was on um, supplemental number two, if you have not heard that, that uh, really Gene Roddenberry was putting together an anthology show in space. So you've got got some of the same characters, and that makes it possible for um, the viewer to become invested, and it certainly gives us a good, like, okay, well, we have this explanation we have this there's a reason that we can talk about this planet that's sort of you know a thousand years behind earth and then this other planet that's about five thousand years ahead of earth we can talk about that because we have these guys going out and exploring it but they really are writing a new show every time it's not until later right Right. that continuity becomes more of an issue you might even argue it's not until what the motion picture maybe Mm -hmm. that continuity actually becomes becomes a more important thing Mm -hmm. you could say that all right. um, well, but I, I think thing. I will someday then. I, I, I think you just did. Oh. Uh, but, but here's the thing that I actually really do like about this episode and, and about uh, Kirk's character in this is that for any kind of dramatic storytelling, you have to have a character grow in some way. The character has to learn something. Um, you know, it's kind of funny that in the 90s, uh, a show like Seinfeld was the show that broke that mold where the characters don't learn anything. <laughs> they don't grow and they're no better at the end than they were at the beginning. Um, but that's a very different show. Star Trek is here to hopefully uh, teach us a little something, enlighten us with a little something. And um, in this case, Kirk is all ready for war. And in fact, he can't even conceive of what is wrong with that attitude until the Arganians lay the smackdown. So his position on this evolves. And I, I think that's a great character moment. Now, whether or not that continues on, because if we're kind of abandoning this idea of continuity, um, <laughs> uh, at least a strict continuity, right. you know, that, that may or may not come up again. But at least in this case, he does grow beyond his initial position. You know, actually, and, I found myself wondering, like, how long does Aleborn's It's Hot, Too Hot, <laughs> too hot to Handle um, spell work? Because if it's, if it's going to stop in five minutes, then we're going to be at war again with the Klingons in ten minutes, right? Right, right. Um, fascinating pan-dimensional being, by the way, who's, like, standing there in the council room. They've always thought that he was just this, you know, idiot. I don't want to fight. You know, mm-hmm. guy, and it turns out that not only is he now turning all of their phasers too hot, but when they go to punch each other, they're too hot to punch. Uh, all of their ships are down, and he says, "I am right now on the Klingon Empire home world and on the Federation home world, and I'm shutting your armies down. I'm shutting down your ability to fight anything yeah. that you guys might pick up and use to hit each other, or kick each other, or stab each other, or shoot each other. Uh, you can't touch it now." Right. And I'm, I'm, that's, I mean, great, great, you know, <laughs> super being. How long, how long do they do that, do you suppose, before it, before it wears off? I, yeah, I think there's a little problem with that plan. Well, no, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a neat idea. Now, I will say the one thing that it made me think of um, this episode, the very beginning of this episode, actually, and this is going to sound a little crazy, but I'm fairly used to doing that on this show. <laughs> Um, it made me think of self-help stuff and like, you know, power of positive thinking kind of things. Like Kirk says the Federation is expecting a sneak attack. And what do you know? Uh, there's a sneak attack and they say they're expecting war. And what do you know? There's war. What if they'd been expecting puppies, you know, <laughs> or, or more seriously, what if their posture had been one of peace? You know, one of assuming that diplomacy would prevail, because even though they are, we're given to understand that they're sort of at the bargaining table when this begins but they're at the bargaining table going, well, yeah, okay, we'll try it, but it's, you know, not going to work. Well, and, and, that, and that didn't lead to peace, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's just exactly it. That's exactly why I'm a little dismayed by the, the position of Kirk from the beginning here is that we've seen diplomat Kirk. Mm-hmm. We've seen compassionate Kirk. And his ability to hopefully draw peace out of a difficult situation is just not even on the table here at the beginning. Well, I mean, that, that has nothing to do with Kirk, though. I mean, it's the Federation. Well, it's the that's, whole Federation. It's, right. It's the Federation that's radioed them and said, expect a sneak attack. Right. <laughs> okay. So basically, the whole of the Federation, there's no part of it that's saying, no, 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 this is going to work out. 
I mean, the whole right. of the Federation is saying, yes, this is not, this is not sharpen your batlets, Klingons. Yeah. And we'll, you know, sharpen our phasers because maybe that will do something. Right. <laughs> but, you know, Kirk is, <laughs> I, I, I'm entertained by his speeches in this because he, he gets so worked up that the uh, the Organians are just not having it. They're just not interested. They have that kind of blank look on their faces when he's saying, like, we'll, we'll build schools, we'll give you our technology, we'll help you cure disease. And, and they're just sort of rolling their eyes, yeah. you know? And he, he is going to civilize these people if it kills them, yeah. you know? There's yeah. kind of this imperialist idea here. <laughs> well, yeah, it goes back to that. We've talked about it several times now, the whole Native American thing, too. I mean, he shows up. Yeah, he's practically brandishing a Bible. I mean, he's yeah. he's very much the missionary man in mm. this, you know, saying, just, you know, come to our way of thinking and all this can be yours. <laughs> right. By the way, we have an entire race that's coming to kill us. Really? You, come on, be like us. Yeah. It, you would think that he would see the irony or at least the difficulty in that from early on. But uh, I guess he didn't. Um, but uh, let me ask you this, though. So here's the Organians. Yeah. They are evolved, according to Spock, potentially millions of years beyond what you know humans understand. Right. And to them, violence is unthinkable. Um, but I, I have to assume that for the, for the Organians to have gotten to where they are, there must have been violent episodes in their past. They, they have to have some understanding of violence right. and have gotten past that. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if I totally buy it that they are able to exist that way. Um, oh, look who it yeah. is. Oh, look who it is. Uh-huh. It's our who? good friend. We have to struggle to survive. It's our oh, good yeah. friend. I need my pain, Kirk, except yes. uh, played by John Champion. You're very welcome. You Thank remember you. him from this side of paradise, don't you? <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yes. What is with you? Okay. So, so let me get this straight. I, uh, I just want to make sure I understand. Okay. All right. Go We're ahead. never going to evolve. We're never going to get to a place where we're not doing this crap that Star Trek is, is sort of railing against. Is that what you're saying? I, I hope we evolve. Uh, uh, okay, no, you don't, though, because you argue against it every time we come to it. I'm every not time we pre- against it. <laughs> you're saying you don't believe it can happen. No, I, I'm saying that. I'm saying that we have struggle and we have violence. And yes, it is. Yes, our, we do today. It is our desire. It is our hope. Uh, it's our duty if we want the species to survive to get past that. But but there will always be some sort of outside obstacle, some, whether you want to call it a threat or even a violent threat. I feel like there will still be an outside obstacle. And the Organians, being these powerful beings who may have spread out many, many places throughout the universe, surely they have come across this before. You got to free your mind, dude. <laughs> no, I mean, and forgive me. I mean, we have to, we have to accept the possibility that we're going to get past this. We, we more than accept the possibility. The only problem with accepting the possibility here, I'm going to be Guru Ken again. More mm-hmm. than accepting the possibility, we actually have to accept. I don't want to say the inevitability of it because inevitability implies a lack of of, of free will, but we have to assume that that reality is attainable, that someday we're not going to have a struggle. And, and I'm not saying that we don't have that today, but we have to go ahead and, and, and glom to the idea that one day we won't, otherwise we always will. If everybody walks around and saying we're always going to be fighting, then we're always going to be fighting. I mean, this goes back to what I said earlier about Starfleet's expectation or the Federation's expectation. Their expectation was that there was going to be war. Well, then of course there's going to be war. And so if we say... Ah, you know, we're never going to be anything if we're not always fighting something, then we're always going to be fighting something. And and then I don't understand what we're evolving towards, unless but what but we're can, evolving towards is a more warrior-like race. But can you get to a point where you're so far removed from the idea of there being any sort of outside threat or any sort of violence that then you are totally unprepared for the moment when there is? They weren't totally unprepared. They were completely prepared. Well, and that's that. So that's kind of an interesting idea that I like about this is, that, you know, the idea that the Organians evolved to a non-corporeal existence, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, I don't know that you necessarily evolve to that. I, I think you have to kind of create that. 
um, if such a thing is even remotely possible. But what they evolved then is a kind of defense. It's sort of, you know, their their ability to defend themselves is based on, uh, I guess, their ability to appear and disappear at will, to create uh, a totally false physical world for their, I guess, potential threats, potential enemies to get lost in, um, while at the same time hiding themselves and then using this uh, heat ray thing not not a ray but their their ability to make things hot i don't know is that a good superpower ken just to be able to make things hot well, it seemed to work for the organians well it's good for heating up tea i don't know i mean here's the thing though you're you're still thinking in very warlike i mean you're you're doing klingon uh, uh federation kind of thought there the organians well, kind of a, I'm, a, I'm a soldier not a diplomat the organians have no enemies I mean, the Organians have no enemy. There is no mm-hmm. threat to the Organians. The only time they get involved is when they see two other groups about to kill each other. And had the Federation and the Klingons not chosen their planet on which to fight, the Federation and the Klingons would have been allowed to kill each other. I mean, this is sort of like what happened um, in Arena with the Gorn, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, Kirk's chasing the Gorn ship or the Enterprise is chasing the Gorn ship, and they happen to pass too close to this other alien race that views them as a threat. Well, the Organians don't even view them as a threat, but it is happening where they exist. Now, well, so, but if they're pure energy, you kind of wonder, no, it's not a threat. That's why they don't care. That's why when the Klingons show up and they're like, you're going to live by our rules, and the Organians are like, fine, we'll live by your rules. What do we care? Because, I mean, because the whole thing is really just created... For the uh, for the Klingons and the uh, and the Enterprise, anyway. I mean, the one if you want to fault this episode logically, why do they even bother presenting themselves? I mean, if I land on the planet, why wouldn't I just go? What are those lights? Good thing it's got air we can breathe. Let's move on. You know what I mean? There's no reason yeah. for them to make themselves a sort of medieval society to present themselves to uh, anybody who shows up because anybody who shows up not going to be from a medieval society. So it's not like you're right. you know. <laughs> You're not. Uh, I, it, it, that that part escapes me. Okay. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that it, part it, doesn't it, make sense. If the Federation and the Klingons are not threats to them, because right. obviously the Organians are more powerful. Uh, I mean, why why care about that at all? You know, they could just up and leave, go to another planet, another part of the galaxy, or another part of the universe, and set up their medieval farming village there and wait for the next people to come along. Well, it's home, isn't it? All their stuff's there. No. Yeah, but they don't need stuff. <laughs> right, they don't have stuff. All they don't oh, have stuff. Oh, but the lighting is so is so good on Norvania. Yeah. Um it's it's sort of like they, they gotta be somewhere, right? I mean it really doesn't seem like they would have to be somewhere because they're energy, but they gotta be somewhere. And so when something comes that they find abhorrent, that's when they get involved. But it's only it's only it's only because they find it abhorrent. Now you ask, don't they have any kind of history of violence? Well, they must. I mean, that's got to be the reason they find it so abhorrent. I mean, they do say that, however many hundreds of thousands of years ago, if not more, they used to be you know humanoid, just like the Klingons and the Enterprise. So one assumes that there was fighting at that at you know at that point. Somewhere along the way, they evolved past that, and. Whether it's that they remember how ugly they thought it was for their own society or whether it's just that now that they've attained this, you know, sort of enlightenment, you know, kind of uh, sorry about the pun, but not really. Now that they've atta- attained enlightenment, you know, it, it just it just sickens them um, to see people fighting or to see, you know, other life forms fighting. I will say it's kind of funny. They do dish back the um, disdain that Kirk was giving them earlier. And of course, the Klingon commander is, too. But you expect that from the Klingons. Um, the disdain that they that they dish back. Uh, what is it they say? Um, one of the council members says, "We find it disgusting." Yeah, right. To interfere. Right. I mean, it's. I mean, this is repugnant to them. That's that's the biggest reason they're stopping it. It's almost like they don't even care about the lives that would be lost. Although they certainly make sure that no lives are lost. But they just find the whole thing. I mean, they just find the whole thing very very distasteful. <laughs> right. which I found I found kind of amusing and then you know one of them does say it, it, it is painful for you to be here for us which I thought was kind yeah. of amusing too it's like wow they really don't yeah we thought we had disdain for them yeah, no, I can't even be in the same <laughs> planet with you no please get just no go just go well all, all the Organians are, are very blunt 
and very honest about everything, which I, I mean, it, it, they're not honest about what their true nature is, because again, I, I see this as kind of a, a defensive. Well, no, they attack. tried, they tried to be, you see, why do you, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, right, why, why defensive? There is no threat. They're not defensive. Well, yeah, but, but why bother to okay, well, show that's... themselves at all as humanoids in a medieval farming village? To me, that, that's sort of like, well, we're going, to, we're going to have a way for us to interact with you. Right. But, but we're, we're still not telling you our true nature. We're still not telling you what we are and what our powers are. We're kind of holding our cards close to the chest. Here. Well, they actually tried to enact one, but then the Klingon showed up. Yeah. I got the yeah. feeling that um, Elborn was about to tell him. He actually says, no, no, you don't understand. We're, and then they get like, uh, then his radio goes off because uh, they're getting attacked. Right. right. Su- Sulu is calling down to say, I got to run. <laughs> right. Right. Well, the, the thing that I really, there are many things I like about this episode, but the thing that I really like here is that, you know, going back to this idea of an anti-war story, but it's told from a different point of view than, than we normally get to see. This mm-hmm. is one of the cool things that science fiction can do. You can introduce a, Totally different species, totally different um, uh, civilization, so far removed from our own. And they can sort of not just take one, but many, many steps back to look at us and, and look at our petty squabbles. At the end of the episode, Spock has this line about how we must look to the Organians the way that amoeba look to humans. Right. <laughs> you know, so insignificant. So powerless and so pathetic, would it matter to us if amoeba are fighting each other? <laughs> no. No, it wouldn't. And whatever motivation for that fight is, it has no bearing on us whatsoever. Um, so I, I like the idea that the story is told in that way. I mean, it, it, it still makes you wonder, okay, well, realistically, um, you know, Whenever there is a conflict in the world, in the real world, um, we at least uh, as a government, we kind of decide, are we going to be involved or not? You know, even in the lead up to World War II, the war in Europe was something else. It was something over there that didn't affect us until we couldn't ignore it anymore. Um, But I I guess you you do have to ask the question – would a would a total uh, uh, just stop to what was happening? Would that have really been the best outcome? You know, you always have to say, well, okay, if World War II hadn't happened, and if these people had been allowed to carry on with their their plans, their politics, well, the world would be a much worse place. So we do have to get involved to some extent. Well, uh, yeah, but we're not we're not uh, a pan dimensional race of beings, are we? Well, exactly. We're, we're not separated from that. Right. Um, but, but you have to, you know, it, it, so if you look at that from the Organian perspective, oh, look, here's, you know, here's one group of continents or one group of countries fighting this other group of countries. Um, oh, it, it's just a pathetic little skirmish. We'll let them fight it out. <laughs> you know, or if you're Organian, we'll not let them fight it out. We'll make all of their weapons super hot so they can't touch them. Well, again, it came it came to their place. I mean, it, you know, they yeah, they yeah. chose to fight the fight in, in the Organians' backyard. I will say, I mean, it seems to me that one of the messages here, again, uh, we find out that not fighting is as simple as not fighting. Um, we talked about this a bit in the Taste of Armageddon or a Taste of Armageddon. I absolutely love that. Yeah, it, it's different here yeah. though. Um, there, we didn't have the ugliness of war as a deterrent. So, you know, they kept on and kept on and they kept on and they kept on because mm-hmm. there was no, there was no, there was no blood. There were no bad pictures. It was, you know, we live comfortably and we die comfortably. We just, you know, step into the closet and suddenly, <laughs> like, like Doug Henning, we're no longer there. Ta-da! <laughs> Except for the part where we're not coming back at the end of the show. Right. Um, here we find out that when no one dies, no one dies. When we can't fight... It does not mean anything. Um, and that seems to sort of surprise Kirk. 
he's got a full head of steam when the weapons are disabled. He's upset that the Organians are interfering with his ability to kill and to be killed, a fact that later embarrasses him. Um, it turns out, though, that not being able to fight is not the end of the world. In fact, it, 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 it's quite the contrary. Right. And so it seems like your question is, you know, is fighting to a stalemate and then we just <laughs> does that does that solve everything? Well, no, that doesn't solve everything. But if you've not got the ability to hurt anybody anymore, if you've not got the ability to lord it over anybody anymore, like you say, well, if we had just fought to a stalemate then these or if we had never had World War Two, if we'd never fought then these, you know, th- these horrible things would have happened and would have continued. I mean, what what this episode is sort of assuming is, okay, well, we've stopped the horrible things, so now what do you got to fight about? You, you can't hit each other anymore, so you're just going to stand around and yell at each other? Or or do you realize the futility of what it was that you were doing in the first place? That, that, well, seems, to sort of be the, that seems to sort of be the crux here to me. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it, we've also introduced the idea in this episode that uh, Klingons have slaves. So, okay, e- even if we can't fight Klingons because we've taken away the ability to use our weapons. Well, if we all go our separate ways, uh, the Klingons still get to go their separate way and apparently keep their slaves. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know? What, wait, what slaves do they have? I mean, when they take over a place, they, right, they do enslave the people. Yeah, that they so we, we enslave the inhabitants of that planet. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's the position <laughs> that Kirk is taking up. And uh, uh, I, I don't know that it is uh, countered at any point during the show. No. Although you're kind of, well, we we both do this, so I guess it's okay that you're doing it. You're extrapolating a bit. I don't think, again, the Organians weren't, I mean, they were trying to stop a fight that was happening in their backyard. Yeah. I mean, they weren't, you know, they're not trying to rectify both societies. One does hope that what will happen is that they will, you know, come to this place where they are unable to kill each other, and that gives them pause. That they then stop and think, well, I wonder if we actually should have been trying to kill each other in the first place. You know, right. I mean, you you can't. You can't fix everything in one day. It's sort of like what Spock says um, at one point in the episode. Even the gods did not spring forth fully formed, or something along those lines. Right. I mean, basically, he's you know he's saying that these these incredible you know super beings that have gotten all peaceable and all powerful um, didn't start out that way. It takes time, and you know. So he also says that uh, that they have nothing to be embarrassed about in the way that they acted, because you know they're evolving. Just as, you know, at one point a very long time ago, the Organians did as well. Right. Well, and, and again, the Organians, super advanced race, and the Enterprise encounters them, and then we just get out of there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, we were told to leave. We were told, yes. I mean, you've seen how powerful they are. Now, the thing is, if we stayed, it's not like they were going to kill us, because that's abhorrent to them. Right. Uh, but yeah, this is not like uh, when we just sail away from... I know you just told me earlier. Who was it again in Arena? Oh, the the Metrons. The Metrons. Yeah. Thank you very much. This is not like that where, you know, although the Metrons actually did kind of, they very politely told us to go away. Don't call us. We'll call you. If you guys get advanced enough, we'll get in touch. I, I kind of like to think the Organians are the same way. You know, they, they wouldn't fight you. They wouldn't kill you. But if you stick around too long, they're like, hey, uh, shouldn't you guys be going now? <laughs> Some say a good deed is its own reward. Others say no good deed goes unpunished. What do we take away from the deeds in Errand of Mercy? Time now to do that thing we do where we ask the questions and we give the answers. Um, Starting with the, uh, the, the whole thing about does the show hold up? Let's do it from a production standpoint first. John, does the uh, production uh, that we're dealing with this week... Uh, stand the test of time. I think kind of mostly I give it, we've done this before. We give it a qualified. Yes. Um, it, there are production problems here that there are some logical holes here. Uh, the munitions dump is uh, a bunch of cardboard boxes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like uh, we, we repeat the same ground a bit, a few times in the, in the episode, but, but, um, I think the performances are strong, and I think the concept is strong. So um, I will give it a qualified yes. How about you? Yeah, it's neat to see from whence the Klingons came. Um, mm-hmm. It is weird having watched a bunch of other Star Trek to basically paint a guy brown and say, now he's a Klingon. 
you know, yeah, right. as opposed to, you know, putting on the big, uh, putting on the big forehead or giving him the long, you know, the long hair or things like that. Not a batleth to be seen. Nope. Um, although the, uh, their disruptors or their phasers actually do sort of carry that same look through everything that I can remember as mm-hmm. far as Star Trek is concerned. So, I mean, it's almost, it's almost like a, it's almost like watching an early sketch of something. It's like, you know, uh, the early sketches of Mortimer Mouse, who of course became Mickey Mouse, which of course, <laughs> you know, led to an empire. Uh, you get the early sketches of the Klingons here that will lead to just a whole bunch of stuff in the future. So if you can look at it in that respect, then yeah, it definitely stands up. Are there, are there holes? Are there goofy bits? Sure. Like, you know, leaving the munitions in U-Haul boxes unlocked outside the city <laughs> gate. That does seem like a silly idea. Right. Um, of course, it also seemed like a fairly safe idea because the Organians, you know, they, they wouldn't do anything against anybody. They wouldn't, they literally wouldn't hurt a fly. And yeah. so when the Klingons left all the munitions there, you know, what's going to happen to them? Nobody here is going to do anything. They didn't realize at the time that they had the Federation peeps. Right. All right. So, so then let's do the, the sort of the harder parts, the messages, morals, meanings, that kind of thing. What's the message in this episode? Is there one episode? I mean, is, is there one message or um, are there several? And if there is or are, what is or are they? Well, I, I think the, the overarching message here, it, it's really it's much too simplistic to say war is bad. You know, I, I, that, that's, uh, that would be a very easy message to do. Okay, fine. But, but to me, what I find really interesting about this episode is that it's about the mental exercise to remove oneself from that, that limited field of vision that we have and we're emotionally invested in one side versus the other side. You know, the, the Organians in this case are meant to be us to say that, well, when you look at a conflict, can you remove yourself from the, the knee-jerk reaction of choosing one side over the other? Can you remove yourself enough to say, well, what they're really fighting over is either insignificant or can we just step away from the idea of a fight at all? You know, mm-hmm. so um, I, I, I very much uh, like that message, that idea here that, um, yeah, like, like I said, it would be too simple just to label it war bad. But I, I like the idea that the show wants us to think harder when we come across something that is a conflict. Hmm. See, I would actually make the message simpler. I wouldn't even say war is bad. I would say war is dumb. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it and yeah. it's not i mean and here's the thing people are going to think that i'm some giant pacifist you know if i say that i understand the need for fighting i understand the need for battle i understand you know the need to defend yourself what i don't understand is the need for aggression i mean mm-hmm. if somebody is coming at you with a knife be prepared defend yourself and if you've got a gun i would say you know judiciously you know, maybe mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to shoot somebody, though. You can just sort of show them that you've got a gun. If they're 20 feet away with a knife and you sort of, you know, it's like uh, it's like uh, Jake Johansson used to say. He felt like uh, freeway shootings were really overkill. That you can, just, you know, show the guy in the next car that you have a gun and probably he's going to back off. Right. You know. Right. Um, I'm not saying that there's never a need for any sort of show of force. And certainly I'm not saying there's never a need to defend yourself. Um. But a lot of the stuff that we end up killing each other over is just silly and stupid. So I would honestly say that overall the message seems to be war is dumb. Not defending yourself is dumb. Not that there's never a reason to do battle. But, you know, for the most part, war is stupid. You believe yeah. one thing, somebody else believes another, fine. You got a piece of land, you want their land. Well, they're already there. So no, why don't you go ahead and stay where you are? Um, war is dumb. Yeah, in sort of, in sort, of uh, sort of the grand scheme. Um it seems to me is the message. And, and I love that message. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So send your letters. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I'm, I think, I'm ready. Yeah. But I think you and I can both say that, that that holds up. Yeah. Well, sure. I think you and I can. Yeah. I think most people listening can too. Yeah. And I, I think, think, the, I, think so. I think the people who can't already don't like me. So <laughs> 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 I'm really fine with that. Hey, speaking of which, if you want to write and tell me, uh, you know, 
that I'm dumb thinking that war is dumb. Or if you want to write and say something, you know, wonderful about what we've seen or, or said, or if you want to talk about episodes a little bit further ahead, I got to say, well, we'll say that on a supplemental. There are plenty of ways to reach us. That's really what I want to say. Uh, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter all operate under one handle. That handle is mission log pod. So, you know, however those work on those different things, do those that way and you'll be all set. You can also pick up the phone and give us a call, 323-522-5641. That number again is 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Missionlog at roddenberry.com is the email address. And don't forget to check out our website, missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Hey, speaking of upcoming episodes of Mission Log, I know that you're really into uh, alternative music. It is pure energy as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Well, next week, we're going to rock out with the alternative factor. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I think Information Society should reunite, and do songs about every alien race in Star Trek. I'm going to get in touch with their people. and transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.